chapter 6. I'll be reading the text here in, in just a few minutes. Paul the Apostle is writing a letter to a church that God, God blessed his ministry in order to start this church. Um, he was there for, um, you know, it escapes me exactly how long he was there, but it was quite a while, like a, I don't know, let's just say six months at least. I can't remember, <laughs> I'd have to look it up. Um, that's a good strong start there, right? <laughs> He knows his stuff. <laughs> he was there for some time. Um, and he taught there and loved them. And he, he taught a lot. And he's been gone for uh, a season. And quite frankly, this book is about how things went badly when he left. And honestly, it's a book where he's severely disappointed with the people. Uh, and so it's a book with a lot of exclamation marks and question marks and really a very hefty attitude of, what are you doing? I can't believe this. Uh, Paul is, is agitated, upset, disappointed. Um, and there's this layer of also... Um, satire in his, his like oh you, you guys just think you, you're everything you've got it all made you figured it all out like uh, he picks this up at least by chapter 4 verse 8 for example already you have all you want already you have become rich without us you have become kings uh, he, and uh, he goes on and on he's very disappointed with where they are Verse 18, for example, chapter 4. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. They're very self-assured, very confident, and they're very wrong. And the, then the tone of chapter 5 is, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot of forehead slapping going on here. Like, I can't believe this. Where did we go wrong here? What did you miss in his sincere teaching? And today's text maintains that tone. There's a lot of exclamation points, a lot of question marks. And I think as a general approach to, to much of Scripture, we, sh we need to realize that the Bible is trying to encourage us to grow, to change. It's, it's not necessarily celebrating what is. It's encouraging us to, to go toward what should be, what, what ought to be in our midst. And I think, honestly, if, you write, if, we, if we rightly understood uh, chapter 6, we're going to have to say, wow, I'm not sure where that exists. I'm not sure even how 
that's going to happen. But it's God's will, and he's calling us to gear up for it and plan for it and begin to practice this new citizenship, this otherworldliness. And probably on, on the week of the inauguration of, of a, what is it, 45? 45th president? Is it 40? I got 45 here. I got 46 here. He'll give me 47. 46 and a half. 46 and a half. <laughs> Somewhere along that line. <laughs> you know, um, I loved the song we sang. I loved all the songs we sang. But my soul will be satisfied in, in Christ alone. In Jesus Christ alone will my full satisfaction come. Because the political process is is whacked out. You know, it's just very strange. And like, what <laughs> is happening here? Uh, regardless of your political uh, affiliation, I think you have to admit that that was, that's interesting. What's going to happen? <laughs> you know, we have a president who, you know, rules by tweeting. <laughs> how, is, how does this work? Uh, and what about this whole Russian thing? Like, oh my goodness, what is going on? And so it's kind of good to hear this message, and that is, hey, we're not of this world. <laughs> we're, we're supposed to be developing a citizenship that is out of this world and growing our own kingdom, not our own kingdom, the kingdom of God, growing in his kingdom under his authority, which is gloriously and radically different from what we find anywhere in the world. You know, now, that's not to say that we as Christians oughtn't to get a job with the government and work for the betterment of society and the government. We should. And many of you do that. You're working for the government. And... Uh, in, in honor and integrity, you're working for uh, the strength and well-being of, of the United States, quite frankly, right? Uh, so that we can experience joy and peace and as much prosperity that we could use for God's glory as possible. That's all good and fine. Uh, but at the same time, recognizing that this world will be ultimately frustrating and it really kind of ends in failure and ultimately only God's kingdom ends in success. And so uh, this paragraph and a half we're going to look at brings us into uh, hopefully a whole, a whole new world. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> uh, absolutely representing can't you see a brand new day so let's pray and then i'll read father thank you for this opportunity to read through your holy word and i praise lord that you'll teach each of us and you'll help us to see what should be what could be and what ought to be and fire us up in excitement about obeying you and following you as our lord as our King, the Master, our Savior, and the one in whom our souls can be satisfied 
completely uh, fulfilled in. Thank you. Amen. So listen as I read the word of God. 1 Corinthians 6. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So, if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. The Lord add his blessing to the reading of this word. Turn with me quickly to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Verses 17 through 21. Philippians 3, 17 through 21. Just these are background scriptures. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus. 
Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, verse 1, chapter 4, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And then hear the word from Jesus, a couple of quotes. This is John 8, 23. He said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. And then in John 18, 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So here's, uh, you, you understand the context I presume. Paul has heard that this church he started in Corinth is embroiled in several lawsuits. Uh, a church member, a brother, is taking another brother to court. Um, and he's gone to the, you know, the Romans are the main government, so the Greco-Roman government they have there. And they're trying to settle lawsuits. We don't know how big or small these lawsuits are. And there's apparently a few of them. And Paul is, I, I'm, not, I'm not twisting it, but he is agitated. He's, uh, you know, he's very upset about this. It's, it's, it's as if they missed something. It's like, why didn't you think about trying to settle this in the body of Christ? And I think when he says in verse 2, are you incompetent to try trivial cases, he's saying that we are to be judges in, in a bigger sense, ultimately, and, and anything else is trivial. You know, a, a 5,000, 10,000, dare I say a 700,000, <laughs> scary, scary numbers, those things are, are trivial compared to eternity. And I, it's not said here, so I, I, I hesitate to say it, but I, I, I wonder if part of the deal is it's embarrassing to have the church fighting against each other and go to the secular court to ask them to settle it as a witness. The secular court is going to say, look, all these Christians, they're so all mature and peaceful, <laughs> and they can't even settle their own arguments. Uh, again, that's not stated in this text, but I wonder if that's part of the background. So my outline today is uh, based on this scripture. I want to start with, uh, let me turn my remote on. Start with this. Saints are not of this world. Again, look at the text of scripture. Verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to court before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Now, the Bible teaches that um, all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are saints. 
He has declared you to be set apart to God. And in God's sight, when he looks at you, he doesn't look at your sin. He looks at the righteousness and perfection of Jesus Christ. He, we believe in what's called substitutionary atonement. He's the substitute for us. He takes our, righteous, our, our unrighteousness. He takes our, our sin. He takes the wrath of God for us. So we're saints. So he's not talking about a select few people that maybe the senior pastor has decided in some dark, smoky room, well, let's make that guy a saint. No. He's talking about all the people in the church. And that's how the Bible is completely consistent with that, that use of the word saint. He's saying, the, the saints are not of this world. He says, or do you not know the saints will judge the world? And we'll get to that in a minute. Our, our faith in Jesus Christ and our relationship to the church is to change our whole view of life. It's not supposed to be some additional cultural association, but it's to give us a whole new view of my loyalties, the people to whom I look for guidance and authority. It's to change our whole view of life, to give us like this, a whole new, like turning the page to a whole different chart. Like, oh, oh, this is a whole different way of looking at things. Looking at things. This is a whole different paragraph. Paradigm, I'm sorry. Uh, this is a different way of, of measuring and thinking about what do I do when I have a problem uh, with, with somebody in the church? I also want to make this point. It's, it's kind of a background obvious point. Not said so much in the, in the text, but just notice in the fine print here. Sorry about the fine print. I hope you have glasses today. There's no thought. It, 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 it's like not in Paul's mind. It, our actual reality of the way we do church in the United States of America is not even a part of the picture. Right? Because there's no thought here of just leaving the church uh, and going to some other church. Right? There's no thought of that here. The thought is, hey, you've got a problem with somebody in the church. You need to solve that problem within the church. You don't just wander off to some other place and hope that people don't gossip too much about you. But that's, see, that's the norm. That's what is in our culture. I don't know if you know that, but that is the absolute truth. Uh, one family has an argument with another family. They never settle it, so one family leaves that church. And then eventually they might leave the other church so that family can come back. And they, they play this sort of dance. This happens all the time. And it, it's, it's just wrong. This text says that's what might be, but it should not be. We, should, we need to follow God to obey him and learn to solve the problems. This is to take great humility, to take great trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no thought here of leaving the church or going to some other church. Secondly, we should be ready to settle disputes of all kinds within the church. That's what this text is teaching. We should be developing the readiness to settle all kinds of disputes in the church. We shouldn't be using the secular legal system against folks in the church. 
and uh, the word is competency here. He says, shouldn't you be competent? Shouldn't you be wise enough? Again, here, here are the words. It's just a few verses. Let me read them again. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent? And there's, there's that attitude of like, what? Right? You say, this, this should not be. Are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertain to this life? What does competency look like? It looks like the ability to understand problems, to investigate problems, to, to bring in witnesses on both sides, to come together and come to a solution to the problem. I, I also want to point out here, um, I'm looking at my outline, I don't think I have this very well laid out um, on this point. I want to bring it out right where he says, so, verse 4, so if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? what he's saying is, right, you can quickly understand that. If you know anything about lawyers, for example, uh, if you're a lawyer, an attorney, and if you have not, uh, say, passed the bar exam for the state of California, you can't go into court and represent somebody else and defend them. You have no standing. You can't be there. You have to be passing the bar. You have to be accepted. If you want to go to the Supreme Court, and represent somebody there. The Supreme Court has to review your credentials and accept you into the Supreme Court. You have no standing there. You just don't have the authority. And he's saying, you're actually laying these grievances, and I just like that picture, you're laying it down. <laughs> Please help me. To somebody who actually doesn't have standing. They don't have authority over the church because you are not a citizen of this world. You're a citizen of God's kingdom. And it's completely different. We should trust the church to grow into competency uh, to be able to judge. And this is an interesting point he makes here. The church will judge with Christ. We've been always saying, what is that? Uh, well, <laughs> the Bible does speak of this occasionally. For example, if you look at Daniel is an old reference in ja Daniel 7.22. I'd be tempted to read the entire chapter, but uh, I just won't do that. Because it's very interesting, Daniel 7. We, we studied it several years ago, but Daniel 7.22, it says, Until the Ancient of Days came, which is speaking of, of God and in the person of Jesus Christ, it's called the Ancient of Days. Until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. And then Jesus, this is just a smattering of some of the little bits. Jesus says this in, in, in Matthew 19, 28. Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, talking to the 12 disciples, 
you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Isn't that interesting? He's saying in the future, you disciples will have some sort of, uh, I'll be in the elevated throne. He says, in the new world, when the Son of Man uh, will sit on his glorious throne, you're going to be under me judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, once again, this humbled us because we don't know exactly what he's talking about. It's a brave new world. <laughs> it's it's going to change, radically and wonderfully change, and we just humbly say, okay, that's going to happen. Uh, how is that exactly? Not sure, but it's going to be amazing and wonderful. And then in Revelation, it picks the same theme up. Uh, in Revelation 20, it says, I think it says three times in that text uh, that the Lord will come and reign for a thousand years on the earth and that the church will reign with him. You're going to be a under, he's going to be the king and we're going to be little kings under him reigning with Christ. Uh, and it says for a thousand years. There's a big debate. Is that a literal thousand years or does it mean some sort of metaphorical longer period? Um, but the book of Revelation teaches that. And here is a quote from that. This is Revelation 20, verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And it's referring to the church. So Paul is making a reference to this rich, prophetic future that you and I as members of the church, are to be growing in competency where we can judge under Christ. We ought to be well-versed in the wisdom of Scripture and be able to investigate situations, hear both sides, and come up to uh, a level of solving problems within the church. Saints are not of this world. And this is a strong point there, isn't it? Where he says in verse 7, to have lostness at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Like I said, that could lean into my speculation that his concern is the bad testimony to the world. You know? It's a defeat for you to go to law because people can say, ah, look at those Christians, they can't get along, the gospel is worthless, it doesn't do anything. Uh, that's already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Exclamation point. Again, the, the theme, the feel, the mood of the text is I can't believe you're doing this. Stop doing it. It's, it's way better to take the loss than to go and bring this matter to someone who has no standing, no authority to solve this problem for you. As I said, this is what should be. This is what we should grow into as a church and trust our Lord. Saints are not of this world. Secondly, the unrighteous will not be a part of the kingdom. He makes a shift here in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
he's saying here, you know, th this is why you don't bring cases to them. They, they are unrighteous. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. They're not a part of our kingdom. We don't trust them. We don't want to honor them with our difficulties. We should solve these problems on our own. Now, this is a very potent insertion here in his argument. The unrighteous will not be a part of the kingdom. The people of the world are unrighteous. They have no standing in the church. There's a huge contrast here between saints and the unrighteous. And I love this next phrase. Do not be deceived. We've had a, a, some sort of unwelcome critter crawling. Uh, one of the, you know, those vents. In the, we have a crawl space in the house. One of those little vents. Somehow the screen got broken. And I, I don't want to just, like, cover it up because what if the critter's inside, you know? <laughs> so uh, I decided, well, I'll put some rat traps out there. And the rat traps didn't phase this critter at all. They just, you know snapped the trap and took the bait and everything was fine. So, oh, okay. So then I decided to go to Amazon where they sell everything. <laughs> We're sponsored by Amazon today. <laughs> they have traps of all kinds, live animal traps. Some quite large. I got sort of the small one. I'm going to catch this critter, right, outside of our house and humanely take them, take them somewhere else, maybe the largest house, and release them. <laughs> They're sort of our neighbors out there in the wild. <laughs> okay, so I take a half a piece of bread and put peanut butter on it, stick it out there, set the trap all up, come out the next morning, oh yeah, yeah. The bread's gone. Peanut butter, of course, is gone. The trap is not sprung. And you know, it's this long tube and the, the bait is here and there's just no way this can happen, you know? Oh, well, I'll try it again. The same thing happened last night. Put another piece of bread in there, peanut butter. I'm trying to deceive this critter. <laughs> and it's sort of deceiving me, isn't it? I, I'm trying to say, hey, here's a nice, safe meal for you. As it turns out, that's true. You know? <laughs> so far, I cannot deceive this critter. It's deceiving me somehow, whatever it is probably a herd of mice this big. Um, and so Paul says, do not be deceived. You know, don't look at that glorious piece of food and think it's healthy and good. That information, that persuasion, that very, very persuasive popular culture that's telling you this list of sins is not, are not sins. But this list is not a list of sins. However you say that in English, you understand what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Our culture is putting peanut butter on the piece of bread and saying, no, 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 it's not. These things are, are nice and helpful and, and loving and good. And far be it from us to say that these people are not right with God and that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I got to thinking about this phrase, do not be deceived. Uh, because it, it's so important. It, this word is used uh, just under 50 times. 50 times in the New Testament. Deception. It's an important issue in the Bible. 
There's a lot of heavy-duty deception out there. And the word deceive means, uh, in, in its active sense, is to lead astray, to cause to wander, to seduce uh, from the path of virtue, to, to cause to sin, to cause to transgress. And here's some important places it's used. Now, in the Old Testament, I start there. I like to use a three-part three outline to understand it. You may be deceived by, we may be deceived by, number one, ourselves. And Carol and Daddy and I were talking about that the other day. One of the greatest verses in Jeremiah 17, in Jeremiah at all, <laughs> all the book is good, you know. But this is it. The heart is what? The heart is deceitful. The, the, the Word of God says the heart is deceitful and then it compares it to everything. The heart is deceitful above all things. Yikes. <laughs> and desperately sick. Who can understand it? What does our culture say? Follow your heart. <laughs> you know? Dream, dreams, dreams. Do what you desire. Follow your heart. And the word of God says, look out. Your heart is broken by sin. And we are naturally re rebels. We, we naturally, just the way we are, we rebel against God. And we say, no, I don't want to submit to your authority. It's an authority issue. You don't have the right to tell me what's right and wrong. You don't have that authority, God. The, the heart is deceitful above all things. And I think Paul would say, don't be deceived by your own heart. You and Corinth, kind of like us in the United States, <laughs> where our, the prevailing culture is saying, oh, come on. Nobody believes like that. You don't, you don't have to live by those standards. Secondly, uh, the world, the world system is deceptive. It's stacked against us. We have a heart that wants to be deceived. And then the, the system, I've already men, made mention of our popular culture, um, which is trying desperately to, it has, a, it has an agenda uh, to convince us that God's word is wrong in every which way you want to stack it. And I, I found this word deceive in you know, glorious, fantastic passage in Revelation again. And this is chapter 18. And it's talking about Babylon, the symbolic human government, this beautiful system. Actually, we have a couple of minutes. Let's turn that real quick. Because I, I, rather than just describing it, it's easier just to read it. Uh, Revelation chapter 18. Because honestly, this is where we are. Uh, we live in Babylon. And, and, and uh, I, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an American, and, and I love, it. you know, I love capitalism. I mean, you know, I drink the best coffee in the world in the morning, and at the snap of my fingers, I can, I can, you know, have wealth, riches, and comfort. I mean, I've got Amazon. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, 
that's just real. That's real. But we, we have to realize that it is, is a part of Babylon as well. Uh, and just listen to this. Um, I want to get down to verse 23. Uh, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, although I'm tempted. Uh, let's, let me start in. Um, it's talking about the destruction. of Ultimately, see, God's going to say, we may not say it in a stage. In fact, it says there will be a trumpet of God. Uh, he will, he will, there will be a shout of an archangel. Right? And, and things are going to change because then what is and what should be will be made one for eternity. Uh, but so putting in, uh, let's start at verse 17. Eventually, Babylon will be destroyed for in a single hour. For in a single hour. How long will it take to destroy the world's economic system? In a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all those, all, all, me, all whose trade is on the sea stood far off. I had an awesome kind of experience. Uh, flew into Singapore a couple of times in the last few months on one trip. And what's so cool about flying into Singapore on a clear day, for miles on end, you see the cargo ships coming and going. This is there's a, a lane in the ocean of products for, for the world coming in and out of that great port. And, and that's what he's saying. All of the, the ship ships and the men who carried this, they st stand afar off, verse 18, and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like? The great city! And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been made, laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea. Remember, Jesus had a word about millstones and deceiving and abusing children, right? It'd be better if he had one of those tied around his neck and thrown into the ocean than, than to face the wrath of God. God forbid. Like a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, all that great culture, all that beauty, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. 
for your merchants were the great ones of the earth and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. Deception. Is the world deceptive? <laughs> Absolutely. And a lot of this is beauty economic. Verse 20, you finish out the chapter. And in her was found the blood of prophets. They killed the prophets, they killed the saints, they laughed and mocked at God. And one day, that's when the altar in, in a single hour. And of all who have been slain on earth. So I just, I, I, I warn us all. We may be deceived by ourselves, the world system, and then finally, of course, you could get the devil. I talked about this great uh, outline. Watch out for the world, the flesh, and the devil. Watch out for the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the devil is the deceiver. It's the same word. This is, again, Revelation uh, verse 9 of chapter 12. And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. So Paul's saying, don't be deceived into thinking that God's kingdom doesn't matter and it's not real and the church is, church is a joke. Like I would bring a lawsuit to the church. Ha, ha, ha. Right? That's, that's a joke. There's no power. There's no, you don't respect that. And Paul is saying, you're being deceived. You're missing the power of God. Again, I say, this is what ought to be. <laughs> this is what we need to grow into. This whole deception is so, so important. Uh, uh, another, just for clarity, just for, how, how can we know? How can we know? This is 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 17. Very familiar, 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 17. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. See, a lot of the deceivers are, are deceived. You know, they, they're generally, sincerely wrong. <laughs> they just don't know. They're being deceived. I mean, they've got the devil deceiving the world. They've got Babylon with sorcery deceiving them. And they've got a broken heart. They, I should say, we. Uh, the, the heart is deceitful. Look at, the, look at all the alls. Huh? The heart is deceitful above all things. The, the Babylon has uh, deceived all nations. All nations were deceived by your sorcery. And Satan is the deceiver of the whole world. There's some explanation. Um, it's very important. So I'm sorry, I'm reading the scripture. <laughs> Go from bad words. Deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. This is, by the way, an affirmation of parents. I don't care what form of education you choose. Private school, public school, uh, you know, in, indigenous scrapings in the sand, 
<laughs> it doesn't matter what form of education. Let me tell you, you, you are to homeschool your kids. You are to train them in the Lord, uh, no matter where they go to school. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with what? The sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable teaching. This is what we need. We need to develop wisdom in this broken world, the roller coaster that's going down. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete. Equipped for every good work. This is such an important point. Let me labor it a little tiny bit more. Do not be deceived. Here's a great commentator, a Presbyterian pastor from many, many decades ago named Albert Barnes. He says this, an import, the most important direction to be given at all do not be deceived. It is the most important direction to be given to all, rather. It implies, one, that they were in danger of being deceived. Two, their own hearts might have deceived them. Three, they might be deceived by their false opinions on these subjects. Uh, three, I think, or four, whatever. They might be in danger of being deceived by their leaders. Some of the leaders in the church apparently are saying, hey, it's no big deal if this guy's committing adultery or fornication. It's kind of a beautiful thing. And I've heard Paul feel, what's going on here? Who perhaps held opinion that some of the persons who practiced these things uh, were saved. It implies that there was no necessity of being deceived. You don't have to be deceived. When he says, do not be deceived, it implies that we don't have to be. There's hope. We can break through this thing. They might know the truth. They might easily understand these matters. It might be plain to them that those who indulge in these things could not be saved. It implies that it was of high importance that they should not be deceived. Why? Because the, these people on the list do not inherit the kingdom of God. It's, it's life and death. Don't be deceived about this. It's not trivial. It's the most important thing ever. Because these people lose heaven to inherit hell and its woes will be a tremendous curse. Oh, how anxious should all be that they be not deceived and that while they hope for life, they do not sink down to everlasting do not be deceived. And finally, it is the work of God to make citizens saints. And there's this beautiful breath of fresh air at the bottom of this list. He says, and such were some of you. Yeah. If you go down this list, there were some of these people in the church. They were all in some category of sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. All saints start out as sinners. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Sinful people can be made into saints only by God's work. He can make you into a saint. He can 
Look at, he washes you. He, he sets you apart to God. And he justifies you. And that is a very powerful biblical concept that says, God looks at you and says, you are right with me because of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus has paid it all. Fully trusting in him leads us to be justified. We're washed, forgiven, and sanctified. God washes, God sanctifies, God justifies. That is the gospel. Let's pray. Father, take this word and apply it to our lives, we pray. And uh, Lord, we pray that we will not be deceived. And we pray, Lord, that we would be cautious and we would obey you even in the matter of taking lawsuits against our brothers. We will bring them to the church and seek restitution and be willing even to be wronged and defrauded for your glory. We pray, O oh Lord, that we as a church will grow in maturity and competency and be able to judge now in preparation for what is the future. And Lord, we do pray for a, a repentance and a breakthrough in, in how we do church in this great culture of ours. So it wouldn't be shallow, it wouldn't be... Uh, just wherever I'm feeling comfortable at the moment, but it would be real, true submission to your kingdom and your authority, and that we would grow in our ability to bring the kingdom, as the Lord said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.